It's been a strange week for all of us, getting used to this new normal, distancing ourselves from those that we care about, uh, looking at the news on a consistent basis, trying to get the latest update. It has been a strange week. Here at the church, we are still working hard to try to serve your needs. The pastors have been doing an incredible job. We have seen uh, children's Sabbath school recorded so that you can still have the opportunity right at home to be able to have something uh, for your kids during this time. We have our pastors and our elders keen to the needs of those um, in particular who are unable to leave. And if you need help, if you need someone to be a runner to pick up some food, we are more than happy. We are standing by to help. And so during this time, we know that we need to press together. We need to be more intentional about the ways in which we care for one another and we pray that we are doing that well, and if there are additional ways that we can do it, please uh, let us know. Although the church is now closed, if you call us, we will pick up your phone call, we will respond. If you email us, we will respond. We are here for you, we are here for one another. Please bow your heads with me and join me in a word of prayer. Father, this morning we have gathered In our various homes, we have gathered on our phones, on our laptops, on our iPads, and we are here waiting to hear a word from you. We have had our souls watered by music. We have had our minds lifted, and we pray that as we come to your word, that your promise will be true, that you will not leave us forsaken, that you will speak to each of us the words of comfort and hope, the words of promise, that we need to hear at this time in our life. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So a year or so ago, we moved from Seattle to Walla Walla. And every move that you make, there's an opportunity and there are also difficulties that are attendant when you move. You think about the new places that you need to be in. You think about the new work situation that you need to navigate. And if you're a parent, one of the things you also need to navigate and think about are your children. And we have one. We have one child. And she had just began first grade, and so we were thinking, what is life going to be like for her to move from Seattle to Walla Walla, to make new friends, to figure out a new life? And so she went to school her first day of first grade here in Walla Walla, and she came back and we asked her, Eden, how was your first day? How was it? And if you're a parent, you know that sometimes your kids are effusive, you cannot get them to stop talking, and there are other times when they clam up, and so you have no idea, was it good, was it bad, how was it for you? And so we wondered, how is this transition going for our daughter? The next day, I got a text message from a parent who also had a young child in the same grade, not in the same class, but in the same grade, and she had heard that there was a new girl coming to the school. And so she was so excited trying to figure out how she can connect with her, and so the night before, her dad and her 
And I can imagine this, um, she's in bed, he's kneeling down, speaking to her, and he says, what's our game plan? How are we going to connect with this new girl? And so they spoke about the importance of being open, of being friendly, of being generous. They spoke about how to include her as she is new in the community. And so the next day, when she saw my daughter, She went up to her, she introduced herself. She said, hello Eden, my name is Isla. She took her by the arm and she decided she was going to be her guide in this new, uncharted, unprecedented times for my daughter. She walked with her in the corridor and as they went to lunch, she made sure she held her. When they went to get food, I think the first meal they had together was probably spaghetti and red sauce. She told her about the different options. She told her what tasted good, and she was her guide during new times, during frightening times, during unprecedented times for my daughter. And I think about this picture of generosity, and I think about the step that this young girl took to be able to help others who are in a time of change and in a time of transition. And today, we want to think about how we might, as a community, come together and be generous with one another. We're living in a time right now where if you look at the cultural moment, according to Twitter timelines, according to media, we are living in a time where rather than practicing generosity, it seems that we are practicing scarcity. You see the pictures everywhere of people going online and raiding supermarkets, trying to get as much food as they can, stocking up as if food is running out. And then, of course, this picture, that has been the talk (laughs) for weeks. You go to try to get toilet paper, and there is none. You go for paper towels, there is none. And these aisles are absolutely empty. And then you see the comments underneath these pictures, and you see, you hear splenetic eruptions of anger from people thinking, how could you? How could people be so dumb? How could people be so selfish? Don't they know other people need this? And you understand why people are doing this. It's interesting for me when I look at Britain and I think, how are they reacting to this? How, how are people in Britain dealing with this? When they go to the supermarket, it seems there are some very specific things that the British want to get above everything else. And so they go straight and make sure they have their Earl Grey or their rooibos or they have their chamomile They know what their priorities are. And yet, we know why people are acting in this way, right? This is not a mystery. We are acting in this way because we are fearful, because we are uncertain about what the future holds. We act this way because we have present concerns. We act this way because we have anger at past decisions, and we are all guilty. All of us have lined up for extra toilet paper, even though we don't really know why we're doing it. Like, do I really need this much? But if everyone else is doing it, I may as well get in line. We do this because we distrust others. 
We do this because we're not sure of what the future will hold. In their book, Generosity, the Power of Paradox, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, researchers from the University of Notre Dame, contend that generosity, when practiced, leads to flourishing, and that's what we want to talk about, how to be a community of generosity. And these researchers say that when we act in generosity, it leads actually to flourishing. For Smith and for Davidson, generosity is not just a philosophical or religious teaching, although it is, but it's actually a sociological fact. Listen to some of the things they say about generosity. They say, by always protecting ourselves against future uncertainties and misfortunes, which is really what all of us attempted to do right now, they say we are affected in ways that make us more anxious about uncertainties and vulnerable to future misfortunes. And then they continue with this line, in short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly take care of ourselves. And so if you're thinking this morning, why are you talking about generosity when the world is screaming that there is scarcity? It's because if we are not generous to others, we don't properly take care of ourselves. Smith and Davidson found strong, consistent association between practices of generosity and well-being for Americans. And this isn't just simply correlation or fluffy research. This is grounded in deep empirical research. And yet the paradox of generosity, as they found, is that although being generous makes us more Uh, makes us better and less anxious people. Americans do not live in generosity, but they live in scarcity. Listen to Smith and Davidson again. The virtue of giving good things, this is how they define generosity. It is the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. And I want you to take this description of generosity and lock it away in your mind because when we come to the end of today's teaching, this will have a lot of importance. Generosity, the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. For these researchers, generosity is a moral orientation to life. It is giving to others, not just the leftovers, not just what you you have scraped off the bottom after you've taken the fat of life, but it's given the best to other people. They say, generosity always intends to enhance the true well-being of those to whom something is being given. And then they continue. For this reason, we think generosity, and listen carefully, Generosity is ultimately an expression of love, even if in specific instances it takes on an appearance of responsibility, of justice, of duty, or citizenship exercise. They make a link between generosity and love. To be generous is to be loving according to these researchers. Now, the Bible also speaks about generosity, and it does so in various ways. Some of the ways the Bible speaks about generosity are very direct. For example, Proverbs eleven twenty-five: 
A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Another text speaking about generosity in Luke. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. What a picture. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then one more example. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And all of these lessons about generosity, you will find that in the background there is the twisted sibling of generosity, which is scarcity. And it's often communicated in the Bible through food. So for example, you'll find places in the Bible when they're trying to speak about generosity or scarcity and the medium that is used is food. Walter Brueggemann, an eminent theologian, says this about food and it being a medium to speak about generosity. He says, food, the production, the distribution, and the consumption of food in the Bible is instructive. What does that mean? It means the way that we see people interacting with food or how it's produced or consumed is telling and shows us how we can live. So today, what we're going to do is explore just two vignettes, two stories in the Bible that will give us some idea of what generosity is, about the pitfalls of scarcity, and how all of us scattered abroad, not here in this building, and we miss you, by the way. It is not the same without you. How all of us, as a a community, can practice generosity. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible, to swipe your app to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 16 through 21. I'll give you a moment to get there. This is the first vignette, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And this is Jesus speaking, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus continues, And he says to this man who is torn down his bonds, he says to this man who is fat with abundance, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this story is straightforward. There's a farmer. He has an abundance of crops year after year. He has so much, he says, listen, this barn that I have is not enough. He tears it down, builds a bigger barn, puts all his grain in there, sits back. He luxuriates in his abundance. And he says, haven't I done well? Let me just kick back. Let me relax. Let me live a life of ease. And then in the story, God comes to the farmer. 
He looks at his business plan. He scrutinizes his heart. And rather than God giving him approbation, a pat on the back, well done, boy, God delivers a frightful judgment to this man. At the end of the story, he says, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And my friends, if you're there, you can turn to your neighbor and you can say, isn't this strange? Or maybe your neighbor's on this side. Isn't this strange? Maybe your neighbor went for a snack break. You shouldn't be doing a snack break. There are no snack breaks. You need to just pay attention for another 10 or so minutes. This is a strange story, right? Why is God denouncing the hard work of this farmer? Now, for all you adults in the room, if you have a financial advisor, even if you don't, and Google is your financial advisor, you know that you are supposed to save. You're supposed to contribute to your 401k retirement. And then after you do that, you're supposed to open an IRA Roth, and you're supposed to put even more money in that retirement. And here is a farmer who has worked double shifts. He's taken night shifts. He's done all the overtime that you could possibly imagine. He has removed things from his line items in his budget that are unnecessary. He has scrimped. He has saved. He has made sure he has a 509 for his child when they go to college. And here is God saying, no, you shouldn't have done it. Why? Because that's the question I have when I read this. And, and this happens often as followers of Jesus. You read the Bible. Jesus has you stumped. And then you have to ask why. Now, I'm not sure. But I can take a guess. If you're still uh, with me in the book of Luke, go to verse 17 and 19. This is the key. I'm going to read that again for you. Verse 17. And he thought within himself, and now listen carefully. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's right. This farmer is absolutely inward in his life and in the abundance that he is enjoying. The rich farmer is not a fool because he is wealthy. No, 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 no. God does not have anything against people who are wealthy. The farmer is not a fool because he is saving for the future. God has nothing against people who uh, plan and budget wisely. But I think God calls him a fool because he appears to live only for himself. God calls him a fool because he believes he can secure his life with his possessions. God calls him a fool because he thinks only about himself. And this rich man who has an abundance in his life, this rich man who has had favorable market conditions, 
has no sense of gratitude to God. He never mentions the people that work for him. He never mentions the people who made his success possible. Instead, he gets more grain, and then he gets more goods, and then he stores it, never thinking about other people, never thinking about how he can be generous and bless others. He has no thought that God might require that out of his abundance, he helps other people. And so God says, you fool, because the life that you have is not even yours, and it can be taken from you in any moment. Our second story this morning is found in Mark chapter 6, and then kind of Mark chapter 8. It's a story that many of you will be familiar with, even if you've just peeked into this broadcast and you don't really go to church, you don't know Bible stories, you've probably heard this story. Mark chapter 6 is the story Uh, And the scene we're dropped in is of a hungry crowd. Remember, we spoke about food being the medium to speak about scarcity and generosity. We're dropped in to a hungry crowd. And in that crowd, there is a little boy who comes in and he has some food. Jesus takes the food and he thanks God for the food. He breaks it. He gives it. He feeds 5,000 people, not including um, women and children. Two chapters later, Mark chapter 8, the disciples are with Jesus, and then Jesus has another crowd, this time 4,000 people, and he does the same. He takes bread, breaks it, thanks, and then he distributes it, and he gives it, and they eat, and there are leftovers. Following the miracle of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6 and the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8, we find this strange scene where the disciples go to Jesus, and I'm going to find that and read it uh, with you, Mark chapter 8. I have a, a bookmark in this. Mark chapter 8, the disciples go to Jesus. Here we go. And they ask him a question. Here we go. He says, they left, Mark chapter 8, verse 13, and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now verse 13. <sighs> The disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, the, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because there is no bread. So again, let me remind you of the scene in case I lost you. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus Christ feeding 4,000 people, with a tiny piece of bread. And now they have left a loaf of bread and they're asking Jesus to give them bread. Listen to the conversation that takes place, but Jesus being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? Jesus is cooking with oil now, my friends. This is good stuff. Then he said to them, 
Then they said to him, 12, also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? How is it that you do not understand? Jesus is trying to bring the disciples from living in a place of scarcity to a place of generosity because they have not grasped that Jesus Christ has defeated the scarcity system. What do I mean? My friends, these two parables are instructive for us right now. 2020, COVID, empty shelves, feeling like we don't have the bandwidth to be generous. Jesus Christ shows us in these two stories that he is able to step into places and systems of scarcity and out of the smallest amount which is left over, produce abundance and generosity. That is why the story, because I never understood it. Who cares about the leftovers, Jesus? You just did the craziest miracle ever. Like, this is going to go viral. Are you kidding me? But Jesus says, there were leftovers in the first miracle. There were leftovers in the second miracle. Because Jesus has defeated the system of scarcity. Jesus has brought in a new system of abundance and he wants his disciples to live with this truth and reality, to understand they are to live out of generosity, not out of scarcity. And so here is Jesus speaking to them, telling them that the greatest truth is that in Christ there is always more than enough. That we should reject the vulpine whispers of a world ordered around scarcity and fear. That there isn't enough to be generous. Hoard it. Clear the shelves. Think only about yourself. Be exclusively concerned about your well-being when it looks like it's scarce. To the detriment of others. No one else matters. Just think about you. Jesus says to reject it. Because in Christ, there is abundance, there is generosity, there are leftovers. And I know it's hard to believe in this world, the abundance that Jesus proclaims. I'm sure it's hard. And this is why in the end, Jesus, knowing that his disciples couldn't believe it, and Jesus knows that as I speak to you today, and as you listen to me today, it's hard for you to believe it. It's hard for you when you have tried to do pickups at Walmart and seeing that they are done for two days to not to feel like actually it is scarcity. There isn't abundance. I can't be generous. It's hard to believe it. And this is why Jesus dies. What do you mean, Andreas? How do you just get from bread to Jesus dying? Listen, Jesus dies because those who were in power when he came were invested in a world of scarcity because generosity was frightening and it was not believed. And when you live in a, in a moment of scarcity, 
it creates fear. And fear creates devotion to those that you think will protect you. Fear creates an us versus them. Fear creates scapegoating so we can look for certain people that we can pinpoint as being the source of our scarcity. Generosity, on the other hand, my friends, produces freedom to trust in God. You know, this week I heard the most brilliant, simple um, definition, there's the word, definition of anxiety. Here it is. Anxiety is thinking about a future that Jesus is not in. And I remember hearing that, and that was the word I needed for the entire week, right? Anxiety is thinking about a future that Jesus is not in. And when we are anxious, we cannot be generous. And when we are not generous, we are living in scarcity. But Jesus calls us to a world of abundance. Not the world that the rulers who were fearful of Jesus operated from, and from there put him to death. And yet, because God doesn't operate in scarcity, my friends, because God operates out of abundance and generosity, we see that in response to the scarcity of the world, Jesus Christ doesn't constrict himself. He doesn't curl up in a ball and think just about himself. What does Jesus do when the world tries to impose scarcity upon him? Does he constrict? No, he expands. And Jesus hung between heaven weeping and the earth in anguish opens his arms to embrace the entire world at a time when he could have said, it's too painful, the future is too uncertain, I have to think about myself. Instead, he opens his arms and he is generous and this is the new world that Jesus has called us to. God then goes on and Jesus resurrects in the ultimate act of generosity. And going back to this definition we use at the beginning, he literally shows us how to give good things to others freely and abundantly. And so what is it that we are to do in these next few days and weeks and months? Because no one knows. What are we supposed to do? What is our response to a world inaugurated by Jesus Christ of abundance and generosity? Countercultural to the scarcity and the fear that is being pushed on us during these uncertain times. What are we to do as a community of generosity? And I know that there are some of you who are thinking, ah, you know, sure, the six year old girls, that was a beautiful picture of generosity, but my business is suffering. I've had customer after customer cancel their orders. I had to cancel my flight to go and see my parents. My wedding has been postponed. I don't know if I will be graduating like the way I thought I would be. Life is upside down, Andreas. This, how am I going to do this? 
I'm crawling up the walls because I'm in self-isolation and I need to see people. I just don't have the bandwidth left. I understand. It's hard for all of us. We all want to constrict. But Jesus beckons us not to listen to the whispers of scarcity, but to live in the reality of his abundance and his generosity. To know that we can move forward because Jesus Christ is ahead of us and so the future should not be an anxious one because Jesus is also in the future with us. And so although we are surrounded by countless images of scarcity and fear that cause us to worry, perhaps our task this week is to push back and to capture pictures of generosity to capture pictures of abundance, of courage, and of love. So this week, I'm hoping we can do some group therapy together. We can, we can come together as a group wherever we are, and we can step forward into the reality of the generosity and the abundance that Christ showed us. And so what is that going to look like? We are asking that where you are right now, this week, you start to take pictures. You take pictures of moments where you see generosity. You, you send those pictures to the church. You allow us to curate those pictures and to share them with a wider audience, to see the places where God is at work, working in the world through pictures. Maybe you will send a picture of your grandchildren. Maybe you send a picture of your best friend or your spouse or your teacher who FaceTimed you or who was on Zoom doing their best to still teach through this period of time. Maybe you will send us a picture of someone who is just doing an honest day labor during this time, keeping our systems open. Maybe you will send us a picture of your spouse who is a clinician of your spouse who wakes up at 4 a.m., puts on their scrubs, goes to work, and you don't see them again until you're in bed. And you're going to say, that is a picture of generosity. Send that to us. And we want you to tag these pictures. We want you to use this hashtag, hashtag generosity2020. If this means absolutely nothing to you, and like, what is a hashtag? Where am I supposed to put this? I have no idea. Don't worry. You can call the church. We'll, we'll tell you how to do it. You can call a grandkid. They'll tell you how to do it. But take these pictures of generosity that you see. Put this hashtag because we want to push back against scarcity and show how we are living as a community of generosity and to live into the world that Jesus invites us to of abundance and of hope. And my friends, I'll end on this note because it's always difficult for me to try to um, give messages that are absolutely Pollyannish because that's not the world in which we live. And so I know that we are asking you to push back against these feelings and the tendrils of scarcity that seek to swallow you up. But the reality is, even as we live as a community of generosity and we trust in the risen Lord, it's also a world of fragility. It's a world of trust. It's a world of vulnerability. The lilies and the birds, after all, can't defend themselves. But they have to trust God's providence and love 
and live generously out of it. So will you help us in these next few weeks, in these next few months, might we be a community of generosity? Might we fight back against the tide of scarcity? Send us your pictures. Tag them, Generous 2020. Let's start a movement of people who see with new eyes and who enter into this new kingdom Jesus has given to us. Amen.